Hey guys, the show is about ready to start, but really quick, I wanted to grab your attention, tell you to have a pencil and paper ready. I have some very important information you're going to want to stick around for after the show regarding updated contact information, websites, and more. Everything's changed. Holy cow. What do I mean? Everything's ready to start. I gotta run. Stick around after the show and I'll get you filled in. Welcome to this podcast. Get ready. Here we go. GOST Radio proudly presents Random Illusions, the podcast where the occult community goes for its listening pleasure. I'm your host, Shasta Ray. Grab a cup of coffee, grab a cup of tea, or grab a glass of wine at the end of a long day if that's what you want to do. Kick back, settle in, and hang out with me for just a little bit while we chat it up about magic. Good evening! Welcome to another exciting episode of the Random Illusions podcast. I'm your host, Shasta Ray. I'm joined in the virtual studio tonight by none other than everybody's favorite podcast co-host in the whole world, Tim Cheesebrow. Hey, hey, hey. And Zoltan, the non-talking parakeet. Well, he just made a liar out of me, didn't he? Okay, so he's just been kind of sitting here chilling and maybe he'll get vocal. So maybe he'll, are you going to, are you going to talk? All right. All right. He's sitting on my shoulder. We're going to see how he does. Just. I just want to throw this out there. Um, I'm trying to teach him how to say Zimbabwe. Yeah, he hasn't actually said it yet, but um, he does repeat a lot of other things that I've taught him and things I haven't taught him. So I have faith that pretty soon we will have him saying Zimbabwe into a microphone. Now, if you can extend that and get him to say nose boops for Zimbabwe. I want to see if I can get him to say Danny Bonaducci. I think if you do that, you should send a clip of it to Danny Bonaducci and invite him on the show. Oh, I will. You know I will. And he'll probably, what is wrong with this person and her bird and the, what, and the occult and Ouija boards? No. You know, I'm telling you, you know, it. that could be a big old nope for Danny Bonaducci. And we are in November. Indeed. So... Where did we leave off last week, Tim? I think we were just talking about... You know, how scary things are, like the word occult and the word demon. Yeah, we talked about that. We talked a bit about how occultists are usually pretty noped out by the use of any Christian influence. They think that the magical tradition is somehow separate from that, even though they're all just branches of the same tree, man. And people don't realize that just because, here again, one particular religious path or religious group uses scripture or uses a concept or recognizes a concept does not mean that concept is exclusive to that religious path. So we can all use stuff that was written thousands of years ago in a magical context that helps us. Why not? That actually ties into a really big note that we didn't even talk about discussing, but it just, it seems appropriate given what you just said. And I see this one in groups all the time. And I mean, like to the point where some groups have started making rules that we can't have posts about this anymore, which is the idea of like magical cultural appropriation. And there are some people who say nope to the use of sage because they believe that Only one group of people on the planet is able to use that particular plant. I believe everything is given freely if it grows freely. It's just that maybe we need to recognize its abilities and strengths to help us in our lives and treat it as such. So respect it as those cultures did that originally used it for magical purposes. Why can't we? Why can't we respect it even if we come from another path? Maybe that's part of recognizing other cultures and absorbing what works for us and learning new things and opening our heads to things. And the Native Amer- the Native American practitioners that I've talked to about this 
it's it's funny because they don't seem to object to anybody using sage in their practice. What they object to is people calling the use of sage smudging because that's a that's a very specific Native American ceremony. So using sage and smudging are different things. Interestingly enough, the tool that we are referring to is called a smudge stick, which is a little bundle of herbs, usually sage. And you can still call it a smudge stick because that's what it is. It's just that if you're not trained in the art of smudging and you're not trained in such in that culture, you can't really call what you're doing. You can call it cleansing, though, and you can use it for cleansing. Absolutely. And non-Native people are welcome to do it. And like I said, the, the Native practitioners I've talked to don't seem to have a problem with it either. The people that have the most problem with it, I find, are those who are just maybe they're just looking for a fight. Or maybe they're trying to be some sort of cultural white knight kind of a thing going on. But it seems that a lot of the people that are crying foul over the use of sage in practice is other non-native people speaking for native people and saying what is and is not okay. Which I think is weird. And I think it I think that's like crossing pretty much the same line as saying that you use the thing for smudging. I mean in both instances, you're not in a territory where you belong. Yeah, I agree. But, you know, I think the general feeling around people who aren't trying to pick a fight is that, hey, it's it grows on the earth. It's there for everybody to use. And let's just not make a big deal out of it. The properties of a plant aren't going to change because you are or are not from a particular culture or ancestry. So if that plant is native to a particular area, it's going to have those properties no matter who uses it. It's just, are you recognizing those properties and how are you using it? If it's a sacred tool and you can use it in your magic practice or in a magical type of way, you know, are you respecting it as such? Yeah, and we can flip the script a little bit and... Let's put it in the context of like put in the put in the context of a a Christian ceremony, right? Certainly, anyone in the world can break bread with their neighbor and they can make it a spiritual experience like that. I think is common in pretty much every culture ever. Yeah, but what people who aren't Catholic can't do is they can't call it the Eucharist because that is a specific practice with a specific kind of bread prepared in a certain way and that's undergone a ritual by an ordained person of a particular faith. So, yeah, so anybody can use bread in their practice, but not everybody can use the term Eucharist. And I think another example just using magic tools would be incense and the Catholic faith is a good example. They use holy water. There's other faiths that have their own version of a holy water or an anointing water of some sort. And I think one thing that we could say is instead of like, it's in everybody's nature to kind of bicker about stuff, whatever, why don't we embrace the the common ground that we all have? Even if it's a radically different faith path, we can find common ground that way because we all have very similar tools, you know, incense, holy water, smudge sticks or herbs that are used in such a way. And that would go back into an incense, you know, candles. Look how many different cultures and different faiths use candles. Everything, everybody. I don't know if there even is anything that probably doesn't or hasn't at some point in time in their history. So there's a lot of common tools that are used across the board by everyone. And they all maybe have their different reasons for using them. And wouldn't it be a much more productive conversation to learn about how other cultures use them and go, huh, that's really interesting. I wonder how I could use it. I wonder yeah. how I could twist it. One thing, here's an interesting example. So I've got this friend, he's Buddhist. I haven't talked to him in quite a while, but when we both lived in the same city, I never really embraced the whole Buddhist path of doing things. And just for anyone who's interested out there, Buddhism is not a religion. It is more of a philosophy. And what most people don't understand is you can be of any faith path, religious or otherwise, and be a Buddhist. You could be a Catholic and a Buddhist. You can be a Hindu 
and Buddhist, you can embrace some of those philosophies no matter if you're in a religion or not, or you if you follow a religion or not. And I went to some of the classes with him, and they had really interesting philosophies and ways of looking at different life situations that really, even though I still don't embrace the Buddhist ways, I still look back at some of those classes and I still use some of those lessons. And that's a really great example of just opening your head to different possibilities, different ways of looking at things and using other people's philosophies in your own life. You don't have to follow a certain faith path or religion, but they may have some concepts that's a really great reminder of how to live life or a great way of changing your thinking for the more positive that could be a great tool for you. Yeah, and that thinking actually leads me to another nope that we talked about bringing up today, which is nope to dogmatic adherence to ritual. We we talked about how we see people expending a lot of energy trying to figure out all of the particulars of certain rituals like they they see it in an old book and then they want to they want to do that ritual exactly as it was done in the 1400s and they want to get every detail perfectly right because they believe it won't work otherwise um i got a news flash for you you're not going to be able to do that yeah because there's very there's very little that's the same now as it was six seven hundred years ago it's just not it's a totally different world and there's there's different things available one of the things that i will butt heads with traditionalists on in pentacle making for example is a traditionalist will say it will only work if made by hand back when those were created that was the only way they had to make them yeah (laughs) there weren't options right these these were highly intelligent people that are that are writing these grimoires and um you know these people are philosophers and scientists and theologians and and inventors and doctors like they they're they're enlightened people and you better believe if they had cnc machines back then they would totally have used them Oh, yeah. And then I'll even challenge the whole thinking on that because the symbols and everything on the Solomonic pentacles are Hebrew. And guess what? We keep talking since the beginning of this podcast how magical Hebrew is. Now, anyone that's ever had any gallery of magic books, I've mentioned them over and over and over on the podcast. All you have to do is look at an image in the book to connect with what's on the other side. And what are all those images? They are a conglomeration of different kinds of Hebrew words and angelic names, Hebrew symbols, names of God. And that's on paper. Sometimes it's on an electronic device and it works, right? Because it's still ancient magic and it doesn't matter what the medium is on. It's still in the symbols. So as long as the symbols are constructed properly and they're not all wonky or the wrong symbols are made up or something, as long as it's the Hebrew, that's what matters. It's in the symbols and it's in the magic attached to the talisman, not in the materials, how it was made, what size of pencil and the, you know, (laughs) the ink and the metal and the whatever. Some people get really specific about it. Like, has to be in this kind of paper with this kind of ink, blah, 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 blah. Now, I do believe that is a layering process. So if you want to view it that way, you view everything in that process as a magical layer and have meaning behind why you're doing it. That will enrich it and enhance it and add depth to the magic attached to it. I believe that completely. Yeah, but you got to do stuff that works with your head. Yeah. You got yeah. you got to do stuff that works with your budget and you got to do stuff that is safe. For one thing, one of the things that I see in old alchemical texts is these guys used to love playing with mercury. Yeah. Like they play with mercury all the time. And I'll tell you right now that is just a bad idea. So, yeah, if you're doing <laughs> alchemy, hey, don't use real mercury. You don't need to. 
you know, you and I have talked many times, and this goes back to any old grimoire. If it was written hundreds of years ago, I am going to challenge that following it to the letter, we don't know that that was actually the grimoire. How do we know it wasn't encoded by the person that wrote it so that nobody would know what the real magic was? Because that's what I would have done back then, especially in those days. I would have totally encoded it. And you wouldn't have wanted anyone to find your magic, especially if it was powerful. You wouldn't have wouldn't have wanted them to know how to do it. So how do we know that it's even all that accurate anyway? We don't, because what a grimoire is, is basically a journal, a notebook. And you're not going to write things in your notebook that you already know. So the thing that every grimoire has omitted from it is whatever the author considered to be common knowledge or whatever the, uh, I mean, maybe it's specialized knowledge, but the author didn't feel the need to write it down because they already knew it. And so we're missing all of the base knowledge. We have a book of recipes without any context for the ingredients or how it will taste or how it fits into the culture or how to cook it and prepare it because Again, like a chef doesn't need to know those things. I'll give you your own example. And I I can't really give a whole lot of it. It's not my area of knowledge. But one example of this that's, I don't think it gets better than this. Everybody knows about all the creepy things that witches put into their brews. It's been known since the beginning of time. They use animal parts like wing of bat and eye of newt. And frog toes and whatever, right? And they have all these things. All of that is encoded and none of it's animal parts. It is all encoded for different types of herbs and plants. Yeah. And so when you think about a like a witch's brew in a cauldron and people all just imagine this like sickly tasting, smelling goop bubbling away. In reality, it was probably more like a pot with some wine and some citrus peels and some rosemary leaves. And it probably made their made their house smell great. And they were probably cooking a roast and there's probably vegetables and stuff in there. Here's another example of that. Bay leaves are very magical. You can manifest with them. You can protect with them. All sorts of stuff. One magical use is to cook with them. One way you can use your herbs is to cook with them and take them in internally. In fact, Miss Aida talked about that a little bit. So those old witches brews that had all that bat wing and, you know, toad parts and lizard parts, those were all herbs and they were probably common herbs. And it was probably secret recipes. (laughs) So nobody would cook their holiday dinners and stuff. And it was probably very secret to them because... Well, even people's secret recipes today. So it probably is a magic encoded dinner feast of different kinds for different holiday celebrations. You never know. Yeah, that that seems far more likely to me than than to have a practitioner who regularly goes out and catches bats and takes the rings off and drains them of blood and ew. <laughs> you, know? <laughs> you know, some stuff that people are nopey about in terminology may be encoded or some things like you said with the ceremonial on fixating on a process may be unnecessary because we don't even know if that was the real thing or not. Sometimes go with the symbols and what I've been looking at with Solomonic Pentacles is the symbolism in the instructions. So I've been kind of looking at the various instructions and what the various components could mean and what other meanings of that could be. And that opens up big doors. It's kind of surprising. Yeah. Once you start questioning and saying, what could this mean for me? Not trying to suss out what it might have meant for some aristocrat in the 1400s, because that's irrelevant. I mean, it's irrelevant to us today. What would, you know, what does make sense is figuring out what works for you today. And, and I, you know, there might be a certain, I guess, you know, hyper nerd factor in recreating bit for bit these old rituals for, you know, maybe the sake of preserving their historical content or something. But, you know, the human species has, we've evolved a little bit. Our technology certainly has. Take advantage of the stuff that's here. I'm not even as well versed 
nearly by any stretch of the imagination on the Solomonic Pentacles as you are. But one thing I started looking at for a little bit that was fascinating, and I started to explore it, and then I got off on another rabbit trail on other things, of course. But when you look at maybe a Sun Pentacle or a Jupiter Pentacle or whatever, I looked at every aspect of that planet, every god from every pantheon that I could find, and how many different cultures attached deities to that and so forth. And the same with the metals. How many different spirits and deities were attached to each metal that was referenced? I had a bunch of different references that I was going through. And what I ended up coming up with was instead of having a pentacle that has, you know, a couple angels attached to it, that's impressive. Great. You have a talisman that's powerful and it has a purpose and it has some angels attached to it. We'll then start attaching all these different Greek and Roman god images and different cultures and different religions through the time associated with that planet or whatever. And every reference you can come up with, and you start coming up with multitudes of deities. So imagine all the power that's truly attached to that if you really open your mind to it. And if you're willing to get beyond the nope of recreating these old grimoires letter for letter and just start thinking about what makes sense. I would say even some of this references go into numbers and the times of day. There's probably all kinds of magic attached to that, that if you brought it to the surface and really attached the meanings in your mind and connected dots, you call on a lot of powers just with those Solomonic talismans beyond what people really realize. Yeah. And um, I know there there are some people who really, really, they really like attaching things to the calendar or to the time of day or to the, some people are even like down to the minute for which angels can be invoked or which planets can be invoked. I got to confess, I don't really understand that. Never have. It's never It's never made sense with my head. It's never made sense with my head either. I view it as it's just another type of magic some people embrace and it works with their psyches. And if it does, run with it. Because from what I understand, it's very powerful. You can really layer stuff with it. So if it's something that really interests you and it it just jazzes you up to learn it, embrace it. Hey, go for it. I can't wrap my head around it. I skip it. And you know what? My magic works great. So it's just another example of you've got to go with what works for you when you start studying and embracing magic and trying different stuff and why you should. Not everything's going to work with everyone. You got to try it to find out. That kind of dovetails into a secondary nope that comes out of that last point, which is some people are really nopey about doing experiments. They only want to do, they only want to stick with the tried and true and they don't really want to get, they don't want to color outside the lines, you know? Well, see, there's reasons because of that. And I think there's, there's a lot of people out there. Everyone can get really quick, instant exposure and you don't know what's tried and true and you don't know what's clickbait. And so it gets, it can be scary to experiment. People think, like you said, the ceremonial, they have to follow it down to the letter or it's not going to work. There's all these different avenues that we can learn, Facebook groups and stuff. And people forget that it's okay to ask questions. And so they kind of nope out on cross-referencing research and everything that comes with that, you know. So always keep your mind open and when it comes to experimentation, I I always tell people, go for some core information, just get some bare basics on theories, and then go with what works with your psyche. But we should all be experimenting. Yeah. I mean, when I see people throw out questions like, do you think it would be all right if I changed X or Y in this ritual to do Z instead? And my answer is pretty much always the same, which is, I don't know, try it. See what happens. Yeah, and that's what I tell people too. You you have to try it. And there's a double-edged sword. There's good and bad with asking questions of others. You have to be a little bit question a uh, little bit careful because you could have a really great idea that really works with your thinking, that would really work for you. 
And if you're not careful, if you go into a group and you say, hey, do you think this would work? And a whole bunch of traditional people out there go, no, you can't do that. That will fail. That'll blow up, whatever, whatever, whatever. It could scare you out of trying some really great stuff. You could be the next person discovering new ways of doing things. Absolutely. Well, that kind of goes into like the whole Dunning-Kruger effect where people online who come across as absolute and certain about all of this metaphysical stuff, people who speak about magic and things online in absolute terms, I think they really just are trying to make themselves look superior um, by putting other people down when what they're really betraying is their own lack of knowledge because the more you study, the more questions you should have. Right. Studying the occult is not something that you do in one lifetime. It's not something that you can, you can't absorb it all. You know, you, you got, you have to make some progress. And if you're making genuine progress, every answer is going to lead to 10 more questions. And so I look at, you know, when I see it, has somebody been doing their practice? Have they been doing their research? The evidence of that is an open mind, one that doesn't shut things down, but says, maybe, let's see. Yeah, there there are some pretty standard, you know, rules all the way across that just seem to apply no matter what. But really, you've got to find your own truth and you've got to find what works for you. And I mean, Tim and I probably sound like a broken record from episode to episode on this. We can't stress it enough. And the more people we talk to, the more they emphasize that. So that's kind of why I repeat it a lot is because I hear it from others. And I think people just need to hear it. It it gives you permission to experiment, to find your own path. So one of the things that surprised me uh, when I was reading through this, which was one of the first like big popular published books on techniques of high magic, it was called Techniques of High Magic by King and Skinner. And they spend a lot of time outlining particulars of ceremonies and stuff and they're very they're very particular in their details and it looks like they get a lot of their material from golden dawn stuff but what i was surprised to see in there is he was talking about the when you actually perform these things and i'm i'm paraphrasing here but it was something like if you get every single one of these steps right and you pronounce all the words correctly but you're just going through the motions that will not be as effective as if you mess up the names, make a bunch of mistakes in the ritual, but your whole heart's in it. You know what? Gallery of Magic reinforces that quite a few times also. They even say, you know, don't get really hung up. We've gotten the pronunciations of these weird words and stuff as close as we can. It'll get you there. And don't sweat it. Get it the best you can, but have your intention in place. That's that's where it matters. And we've learned a lot about that in the last couple of weeks even the simple lesson of you pretty much just gotta ask it's really that easy but you have oh even this morning with my ouija board i told you that it it boils down to the scripture and here we go anybody can use any scripture for their purposes it doesn't belong to any one group and the one little phrase is ask and you shall receive you have to ask in order to receive and it's a it's a it's a step that's so simple People almost discount it as being magic because because it can't be that easy. But things don't have to be hard to be true, you know? Right. Yeah. And the one thing that I channeled with the Ouija board this morning is I had I had coffee with a different group of spirits than I normally do. And I was asking them about that. And even when it comes to knowledge that you're looking for. Sometimes it boils down to asking and making sure that you're asking the right questions in the right way, because sometimes you can think you're wanting one thing, but you're not really asking for the right thing. I don't know if I said that right. No, you did. I mean, and I've I've had that happen, too, where I'm I'm asking the wrong question. And you know what? What's interesting about that is sometimes they know what you're after, but They're also after teaching you just a little bit of a life lesson in there. And it doesn't mean it's necessarily painful, but it will give you an aha moment. So you get kind of some icing on the cake. 
you get your answer eventually, but you you learn a process of asking at the same time. And then you you see things from a different angle when they do that to you. And I think it's also an important step in the process because the act of asking puts you in a humble position. A lot of people say nope to being in a humble position. They sure do. And <laughs> um, I, I think magic is definitely one of those fields. Music and acting is another one. Politics is another one where, you know, people go from one day having really good intentions to the next day just having these huge egos, then they find that all of a sudden they're not as effective as they used to be. Yeah, because your ego is taking up most of the room. You know, that that's not the part of you that does the work. So I'm going to I'm going to get off on a rabbit trail here because I kind of want to put a teaser out there that goes with that experimentation. And Tim and I had a couple of conversations regarding this morning's Ouija board session with this group of spirits today. And one of the things that I ended up asking about was an experimental thing that's led to something Tim and I are going to develop. And we're not really sure what we're going to call it yet, but it's kind of the hex anti-venom, really. And I had questions about approaching different spirits' abilities and their known uses and their known areas of expertise from different angles, which we've discussed here. Every spirit can do the polar opposite of what they're known to be good for. So some of these attack spirits look at the positive uses and see what that could be. So I started asking questions in this direction, and they started giving me some insight as to a tool that Tim and I can build that's basically a curse breaker and a hex breaker for almost any purpose. And if you feel like you're under attack, this might help just about anyone. And that wouldn't have come about had I not asked and not been willing to experiment and not been willing to open myself to some really bizarre concepts that once they were presented really aren't that bizarre. No, no. Once you once you laid it out for me, I was like, oh, yeah, that makes sense. That's actually, again, it's a little too easy. Yeah, but we wouldn't have that knowledge had I not been just curious and started asking some strange questions when I was having coffee with a group of spirits with my Ouija board. And the way I do that is I ask them to speak collectively as one voice. And I picked them for a reason. And oh my gosh, the conversation was just intense. So I was basically talking to four intelligences and it was so much fun. I had never tried that. So that was an experiment in and of itself also. Well, and and I, I find that the more experimentation I do, the faster I learn things. Right. Because then you're then you're adding experience to book knowledge. It's not it's not all coming from a book. Now I do want to take a second here to emphasize to everybody, I won't get into it, but I will say <laughs> with a smile that just because you're experimenting and you have a fantastic idea does not mean you're gonna get it right on the first attempt. You will have some failures. <laughs> you will have some disappointments in your efforts, no matter how glorious it is in the moment that you conceive the idea. Sometimes you still have to tweak and massage the idea for it to actually work. <laughs> and we've had a few epic fails, too. <laughs> yeah, but, you know, they were good teachers. And then. Yeah, yeah, they're, they're were, teaching experience. They're teaching experience. So. Yeah, those are some nopes that people should experiment with. But you know what? Let's get into the meat of this that we were teasing some people about last week. And let's not try to start a wizard war with all this because, oh, this is two heated nope subjects that either you don't understand or it's interpreted a very hard way this way or a hard way that way. First is the blood magic work and the other is packed with spirits. Dum 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 stuff right there. And how do we wanna how do we wanna jump in? Be a dark magician, badass, make yourself bleed. Cut yourself on a soul pet. Make a contract with the devil. <laughs> and 
punch yourself in the face and bleed on it. Well, I think I think we have talked about the uh, the really cringy edgelord types in previous episodes. We don't need to rehash that. Well, of course oh, we do. It's funny, man. <laughs> you know, there's so much clickbait out there, and it's our job to have fun. Set yourself on fire. <laughs> That's not what inflame yourself with prayer means, Shasta. <laughs> Oh, now she's got the giggles. <laughs> Buy my book and do everything you ever imagined. All of your wildest dreams will come true. Join this Patreon and learn all the deep, dark secrets of the occult that will bring you all of the riches you could ever imagine. But you only get a little bit a month at a time. Instead of buying a book and getting all the content at once, you can pay me the same amount every month, and I'll give you half a chapter a month until you've got the whole book. <laughs> It'll only cost you about 2,000% more than just getting a half price books. What a deal, huh? <laughs> Engulf yourself! Okay, Shasta, you've had your fun playing with your toys. Let's get back to the content now. What'd you do? How'd you shut that up? Magic. Duh. I have a Ouija board and a coffee pot, too. All right. So, yeah, you know, one of those big nope things is, and it goes with the, the, the negative image and all sorts of stuff with the occult, is the blood work. And you always hear that you have to do blood sacrifice and, you know, cut yourself and, you know, gore. Um, where's your head on that? Why do you think it exists? And where do you think the reality of that is? And when do you think there's... A place for it or not well i think that that practice is rooted like pretty much every other magical religious concept in the world i think it's rooted in ancient egyptian magical practice and they were big on sacrifices like they had huge temples built to a priestly class whose main job it was was to kill things <laughs> sacrifices to the gods every altar Say, like, every ancient Egyptian altar had a pool for collecting blood from a sacrificed animal. Right. Um, it and was just, like, it was part of their altar design. They they used blood all the time. And when they, when they ran out of animals, they used people. Well, and I you mean, even mentioned it last week. Even in ancient biblical times, it was just commonplace. They would always sacrifice something to please God or to thank God or prove their dedication, whatever their reasons were. There's all different kinds of things, but there's always animal sacrifice. So yeah, I mean, it, it was traditional back then. And then it's always been associated with anything that's a, you know, a, a dark art. Yeah. But the weird thing is that it's also associated with all of the organizations that call the dark arts dark, right? And I know we're kind of maybe picking on the Catholics a lot today, but you know, they believe that every Sunday, the wine that they're drinking has been turned literally into blood. Right. And so we have we have people in churches drinking blood all the time. Right. When the Jewish people celebrate Passover, the angels told them to wash their doors with lamb's blood so that when this curse came, those doors would be passed over. Lots of blood there. And and so it's kind of been used for a long time. And because it is it is the most it, it is the low hanging fruit on symbolism for life. It's the most obvious and evident symbol of life. And what about modern day practice that you hear about? And I always I always use the example of the groups, the Facebook groups, because that's where a lot of people get their information and are exposed to stuff, this and that. What about you know, people think there's certain groups of people that slice themselves in some capacity to draw blood, to do their modern day magic work. Other people are deathly against it. And personally, on my end of things, I've never found it necessary. It's never been my practice. I will say that there is use in it. And here's my perception. Blood has your DNA stamp in it. It has your personalized DNA identification in it. So if you're going to tie yourself to a magical working, 
that's one way to do it to make sure that that energy is tied to you and that change that you're working towards is tied to you. I don't find it necessary. I don't practice it. But alternate methods would be maybe a strand of hair, a fingernail clipping, or even saliva has DNA in it. So that would all attach you in that same way. Other people are just really into the whole, I had to, you know, be so radical as I sliced myself open and spilled blood on the altar. And there's the drama and the the theatrics involved. So there's all different things you see in groups and people post and all sorts of stuff. Where's your head on it? Well, I usually say nope to theatrics myself because I'm not really impressed by them. But using blood, I don't know. I I don't find it necessary either, particularly because now let's let's say you're using it as like a method of sacrifice. Sacrifice means that you're giving something up, that you're enduring a hardship in order to, I don't know, prove to whatever spirit you're working with that you're serious or whatever. A, you don't need to do it with blood. And B, what most people do when they are giving blood to a ritual is they'll like prick their finger a little bit and they'll kind of just squeeze it out on there. That's not a sacrifice. Like it didn't even hurt. So you're kind of, you're kind of sidestepping the whole point of it. Um, Right. And and that doesn't even make sense to me. So when I think of the concept, I think in terms of, well, the blood is is my life force and it has my DNA and it has my personal fingerprint in it, so to speak. You know, it's my unique thing to my body and to my soul. So it ties me in that magic. But, well, we do that with attunements. There's energy ties that we have when we work with the spirit anyway. They know how to find their way back to you. So, I mean, there's different theories as to why people do it. But one thing that I have done is like if you have a paper cut or something and you've got that coming out anyway, I was dedicating a book that I was writing, uh, not writing a book, but like similar to the Magical Cash book, but it was the book of Agaris. And that author suggests that you seal it with your own blood. Well, I'm not going to cut myself or something for that. And so I had built the, the book and I was really conflicted about that because here again, I don't find it necessary, but I had a cut. So I thought, why not put my fingerprint in blood on it on the inside cover? And for me, that consecrated the book to me and it's my personal use and nobody else is ever permitted to use it for any magical purpose. And it's, I used it as a way to seal that. And it wasn't a sacrifice, but it was my personal stamp on there. So, oh yeah, and don't don't mistake me by yeah thinking that sacrifice is necessary. I really don't think that it is. No, um, I and I have never, I have never in my thirty four years of formally practicing, consciously practicing some kind of magic, I have never had the need to cut myself or prick my finger or do anything to cause blood to spill to do that magic. And it's always been successful. But in the case of this book, I was really conflicted about the instructions. And I, you know, I'm, I do paperwork and stuff. I had a paper cut. I was like, you know what? It's going on. I'm going to seal it and I'm going to try this. And so have I noticed a difference in the effectiveness? Not really. But um, I think there is a different communication level between uh, using that book and other books that I've constructed. And that's good advice for people who feel like that is something that's really important to them. Yeah. Instead of cutting yourself on purpose, which could be very dangerous, wait for situations that arise naturally, like nosebleeds. I mean, I get nosebleeds all the time. So put it in a glass vial and you can save it for a rainy day. There's, you know, women could collect menstrual blood. That's a relatively regular way to get it. And I would say in the grand scheme of things, here again, I'm going to turn 55 next month. And in my 34 plus years of practicing, that's the only time I've used blood in any of my magic. And it's because I had the book constructed. I had not consecrated it yet. And I was hung up on that particular step of the instructions. And it actually sat there for a number of months because I was trying to figure out how I wanted to consecrate it. Another point being is I was getting hung up on instructions. So Mm, you know what? I had the paper cut. 
I went ahead and I was like, you know what, I'm going to, I'm going to use this on that book. And I went through the process then and there, cause Hey, why not? And then I did a meditation and I actually contacted that spirit and I did a coffee session with him at one point in time. And I was asking questions. Consecration is very personal and it is your activation of a personal magic tool that you will be using. So you can do it however is meaningful to you and there's no right or wrong. Another idea, if you want to use, if you want to use blood in any sort of capacity, you can just go to your local art store and you can pick up a bottle of red fountain pen ink and you could even mix a little of your own blood in there so that it's got a little bit of your DNA in there. But then anytime you have an application where you want to use blood, you can use ink instead. And it's kind of doing the same thing. It, 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 I would say that this would be one of those things that works by the law of correspondence, you know, like attracts like. And I think I think red ink is pretty darn close to blood. So, well, you know, um, I was just going to mention I've got several different inks that I use that I've gotten at metaphysical stores. They're prepped by people that do this kind of work. I've got Dove's Blood ink. I've got Dragon's Blood ink. And I've got a Money ink also. But Dove's Blood, and there's also a Bat's Blood ink I think you can get. And I'm I'm sure there's probably others. But it goes back to that uh, reference. It's not actually blood from a dove or a bat. Or a and, dragon. It's or not a dragon. dragon's blood. So, yeah, dragon's blood is a resin. And I can't remember what they make the bat and the dove blood ink from. but it's usually out of an herb or something for those magical purposes. So a dove's blood ink is going to be for love spells, that sort of thing. And bat's blood is probably going to be for something darker in nature. Dragon's blood ink will work for pretty much any magical purpose. Yeah. So those, so, those are some and, really good alternatives to, uh, you know, if you, feel you, if you feel that you should be using blood, but you don't want to, there's, there's plenty of other stuff out there. And really here again, consecrate it as a magical tool and much like you suggested in the catholic faith they basically consecrate wine as blood well now they they've deemed it so so now everyone believes that this is the blood of christ you can actually kind of do something symbolic and say this is symbolically representing my blood in this ritual and then you know hey it it's going to look the same well and if it's if it's good enough for jesus it's good enough for you so, yeah. So, yeah. In conclusion with that, you know, I just kind of want to recap. If you really think that you need the theatrics and the drama and, and you're going to have the ceremonial dagger and then spill the blood for the ritual and all, you don't need to do that. It's not necessary. It's not going to put your intention into your ritual or your magic work. You don't have to go through something that's going to get you an infection and end up in the doctor's office or something. And here again, the spirits really don't care. They don't. If you want to tie it or personalize yourself to it and it means something to you that way and you're someone that really is moved by that for whatever reason you're moved by, think of a safe way to do it. And hey, you know what? We all have little uh, accidents around the house. We always stub our toe and, and cut our finger and have bumps and bruises. So you know what? Use that. Yeah. And I think we said this in a previous episode too, but you're not going to do anything to impress the beings you're trying to contact spill as much blood as you like they aren't they aren't going to find it impressive um, yeah it, i always get the impression they're standing there going why are you doing that i mean <laughs> you're probably sitting there with your knife thinking like i'm just this really hardcore but to them it probably looks like you know when a two-year-old or a three-year-old comes out with like a toy squirt gun and goes, bang, bang, you're dead. It's not actually tough at all. If you're looking for something that's going to tie you to the magic, think of it this way. How many times have we heard about people that use a strand of hair to cast magic on someone or a fingernail clipping or anything like that? You can use your saliva. You can use a strand of hair. You can do anything that personalizes it to you in that capacity if you need to. You can also write in your own handwriting that's very personalized. It's very unique to you. You can write your magic out and then burn it. Okay. And there's all different kinds of alternative ways 
where you don't have to have the dramatic spilling of blood and the pathogens and the dangers involved nowadays with infection and stuff. Oh my gosh. And some of that is just here again, it was somebody else's magic and idea from, you know, 500 years ago. And that's maybe how they practiced back then, but it's really not necessary. We've, we've come a long way. Along those same lines, animal sacrifices just don't. Yeah, just don't. I mean, it's unnecessary. It's unsanitary. I know that there are some cultures around the world where that's really a big part of their tradition. I just don't see it as necessary. I find what's better is a lot of spirits, they're all connected to nature. Look at all the books that we've talked about and the methods where you connect to nature to connect to your guardian angels and stuff. So think about we're all connected to nature. It's all part of a system. If you honor the animals instead of slicing them up, you're going to spread joy and positivity in that effort. You're going to be honoring the system. So think of that instead of sacrificing an animal. Hey, you know what? I got a little guy here. He's hanging out. His life is enriched because he's not being kept in a cage. He's got some joy and he's singing, you know, have fun, honor that animal, do something nice for it. Or just, you know, instead of instead of slaughtering an animal, go go feed an animal. There you go. Go take care of an animal. Go rescue an animal. Maybe you're somebody that you're just not interested in having a pet. You don't want to take care of it. It doesn't fit in your lifestyle. Anything. There's plenty of ways that you can contribute. Like here's an example. The area I live in, there's all sorts of thorns and stickers People don't maintain their sidewalks, so when people are walking their dogs, their their feet get full of thorns. So, you know what? Maintain your sidewalk in your yard or contribute to a, a worthy cause. Like charity in my area, the, the Humane Society has a spay and neuter program for all the feral cats. So you could contribute to something that takes care of animals that are strays or contribute to your community. Yeah, and I think that making a connection in that way, it's going to be more meaningful for you. I, I know that it would be more meaningful for me, and it's just a lot less messy. <laughs> and it still connects you to part of the part of the divine system of everything. We're all interconnected. And when you start seeing that, you become part of it consciously. Guess what? That enhances your magic. <laughs> so go hug a tree or something. Heck yeah. See, even Zoltan's very excited. So. The other big nope is... Soul Patch, we're going to have a contract with a demon. So what about, you know, contractual stuff? And like, why? I I honestly don't know. I, I don't think it's necessary. Every time that I have approached any kind of spirit, I just talk to them like a normal person and just uh, ask them for their help. And that was that. I didn't, nobody's ever asked to make a pact or a contract or anything like that. How about you? What do you? Yeah, I got nothing. I got nothing. Um, I've tried to figure it out. I've tried reading stuff. I know that it's a big word and people throw it around and they, they really feel like badasses when they do stuff like that. Maybe it makes people feel special. I don't know. But I've just never, I've never understood it and it's never computed because I've never found a need for it, maybe. But, you know, here again, ask and you shall receive. You've got to ask. And if that's what they're there for. They're on standby waiting to help navigate and help us in this life with gravity and earthly stuff and troubles and stresses. They're energy beings. So they don't really benefit from the same stuff that we think they might benefit from right and their job is to help us and the idea of i know that the uh the the popular concept of one selling their soul to the devil i'm not convinced that's even possible yeah what what is that what is a soul i mean far as we know far as we know uh a soul is it's a spark of of energy yeah it's 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 a spark of of you that's a spark of the divine it's your it's your chip off the old block right I don't think that's something that can be bought and sold. I just, I don't think, I don't think God is a commodity. 
He's well, not, I think it, not, it's, you know, it, wheat or corn. It's a good scare tactic in some circles, and it's great for movies and Hollywood and storytelling and um, lessons to be learned. You could probably think of all sorts of parables and things like that with, with such a thing. But as far as our basic magic practice goes in real life, I I, I am stumped. I it it here again, it's never made sense to me. I've never had a need for it. And when I've asked spirits to help me and be an ongoing source of help and friendship, I guess, they're there. They they enjoy it. They enjoy interacting and helping. That's there's no need for a pact. There's no need for a contract. It's, you know, I don't think it's the way they prefer to work. It's certainly not the way I prefer to work. I can't remember which one I was channeling at the time, but I had asked about soul packs and the the reaction I got was something like, what would I do with that? (laughs) (laughs) I can't use it. I don't want it. It's yours. You keep it. I suppose we should be fair and look at the other side of the coin on this. There are practitioners out there that believe it's necessary and that's how they work and maybe they need it. Maybe, maybe there is no such thing in the grand scheme of things, or maybe there is, or maybe in their practice, it becomes a reality. And that is the only way they don't have a blockage. I think it's extreme and I think it's unnecessary, but I guess if it gets the job done and there's no harm done to other people, I can't really complain about it or put anyone down for it. I just can't really wrap my head around it. Therein is the rub, because there are some people out there who are basically using the idea of sold packs to make money, and they're not they're not really doing it. And, well, I don't even know if there is an ethical way to do it, but there are people out there who are making packs with entities on behalf of other people, which... Again, I'm not convinced you can even do because it's a very personal thing. And it's like, if you don't have a relationship with that spirit, then why are they going to be entering in a contract with you at all or any kind of agreement? And then there's there's other people who are doing things that are even bordering on dangerous where, um, well, not bordering on, they are dangerous. People who are selling contracts through the Anima Sola, for example. Do you want to elaborate to the listeners what that is? Because it sounds... Give me that control back. Let go of that. It sounds really badass. It sounds badass, but it's anything but. The um the concept of the Anima Sola is that there is a um there's this being that uh is in purgatory, and the image of her is of like a naked lady in chains, basically engulfed in fire. It does not look like she's having a good time. Um, Set yourself on fire! Well, the people that sell this service are setting other people on fire. Because the way that this particular brand of uh, ritual works is that the person basically gets what they want on the earthly plane now. And the price they pay for it is that when they die, they have to take Anamasola's place in purgatory. So in my mind, it is completely unethical to sell any Anamasola services to anybody because consigning somebody's soul to purgatory is just, there is nothing on this earth that would be worth that. If somebody is in such despair that they're thinking it's a good idea, you really shouldn't be doing it. Like they're right. not they're not in a place where they're making good decisions. So, yeah, you know, when it comes to the packs and stuff, I just I got to say, we've got our tethers or people call them attunements. Really, when you establish a connection to a spirit and you want to work with it, just ask it. Now, if you really feel the need to do a, a gratitude or an exchange of some sort, keep it personal. And it doesn't need to be some dramatic thing or signing off your soul for the rest of eternity or some bizarre concept like that. We're not even sure if it's possible. And if it is, why would you want to work with the spirit that would do that? Like, why would you want to anyway? That makes no sense. No. When you're going to accomplish the same thing by like just asking and, and, you know, what do angels want? Gratitude, 
joy, you know, they want you to share your good vibes and that's. Well, and they also want you to, if you're going to ask for something, believe in what you're asking for. It doesn't have to be some philanthropist thing to ask for, but be part of the process of getting it. Be part of the teamwork of achieving that goal. Work with them to achieve it. Do your work in the mundane. That's what they want. Yeah. Yeah, they would they would rather have you do your part, learn your lesson along the way than to do some edge lordy thing and make a soul pact and drain your veins and you know set yourself on fire. See, you're doing it now too. It's fun, isn't I it? I I didn't realize it. Yeah, you were having happened. fun. You were smiling when I saw it. You have your camera on. You were having see people, it's fun. Okay? Have fun. When you're being an edgelord, I think that's very important. No, but another thing that I think happens is when people get to that point where they're going through these motions that are that extreme, I have this thing that I'm going to cut my hand for to seal this spell and I'm going to make this pact and blah, 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 whatever dramatic, it, it huge thing. Maybe they've waited too long and that situation is really huge for them. If you do regular maintenance magic for your goals, for your protections, for your health, there'll be less surprises to deal with in gigantic ways because you've done maintenance magic for yourself. So sometimes I think those extreme measures are because they have extreme situations and they think that that's the only way to attack it. And it really isn't because we've talked about this before about how one grand gesture is not as effective as a series of small strategic steps. So if you've got a really big situation, instead of going to the most extreme badassery type ritual you can think of, take the situation, break it down into component parts and see if you can come up with a sound strategy for simple things to do to remedy the situation over time. Another really great approach to that, strange and as odd as this may seem, read your books because what there's some amazing advice on how to structure your magic just in your regular books. And people overlook that all the time. Then you don't have the whole, oh my gosh, dramatic, gigantic approach to the one big problem with the one big ritual that, that you can't figure out why you didn't get results. Some of your books are going to have these really practical advices, strategies, concepts, and ways of thinking that's going to make everything more successful so you don't have these dramatic panic moments. Yeah. And regular learning is a, I mean, that's just good for everything. <laughs> Well, even, even if you're not a scholar, even if you're don't consider yourself a, you know, bookwormy type, I feel like if you're going to be a practicing occultist, you should always be reading something. Yeah, I, I agree. Here again, I, I can't stress it enough. Even my tried and true books that I've been working out of since the very beginning that I started working with this type of magic. If I go back and read those beginning chapters, usually every occult author out there has amazing food for thought concepts on grasping the magic they're presenting, as well as concepts that you can apply to other types of magic and structures on your baby steps for one big goal. You know, so some of that can be very effective and we forget it. So I always go back and read my books and there's always stuff that stands out. It's like, wow, I forgot that. Oh, yeah, I can apply that. So, yeah, so those are some really good positive ways to look at some great, big, huge nope topics. You got the blood work. You've got the packed work and the soul selling and all that junk. You've got the the personas and the the clickbait factor. You know, I guess the huge takeaway is what are the things that are a huge nope for you or for other people? And how can you look at these things at different angles and pick them apart and see what the real problem is? Are you on track with that? Is there a different way around it? Open your mind. Experiment. Try stuff. Learn stuff. 
Well, I guess I, you all that's left to say is... Keep a smile on your face. Keep okay, a bounce so, in your face. Keep, keep a, a bounce your, in your face. Keep the smile, smile in your, your step. step. Keep magic in your practice. <laughs> <laughs> the look on your face. <laughs> keep practicing your magic. And by all means, don't be afraid to color outside the lines. Or realize Ask, that there are no lines. Ask a few questions. See what resonates with you. You don't have to follow hardcore rules. You can experiment. You can find your own path. And all these scary things, you know what? Find what it really means to you and what's really going to get you to your end goals. And that's okay. Don't let things be a big nope. And if it is, you don't have to participate in the scary stuff. So I guess really, until next time, bye-bye. 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 Bye 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 I'll see you later <laughs> <laughs>the show oh my gosh so many changes and so many things to tell all of you about we are officially in rerun mode what does that mean for you well hey if you listen on your favorite podcast app nothing is going to change you will always be able to go back and listen to your favorite episodes and guest spots anytime you want just as you always have again nothing will change for those of you that use your favorite podcast app next the website will change a little bit. It will change to www.podpage.com slash random-illusions or you can listen directly off the host site www.randomillusions.buzzsprout.com Links are now in every episode show notes. Check it out. Don't forget to follow us on Facebook, facebook.com slash radio. Twitter.com slash GOST radio. If you love YouTube, don't forget to subscribe to the Random Illusions Podcast YouTube channel, the GOST radio YouTube channel, and TikTok. Don't forget to follow us there. Links are down in the show notes. Exclusively for the listener base of Random Illusions, Tim and I are going to continue our coffee.com divinations. Just let us know if you want a rune reading by Tim or a tarot reading by Shasta and what your question is. Give us about two business days and we will respond with a thorough answer to your question, giving you some insight and maybe a little inspiration as well. If you would like to follow Tim and I as we jump into our new leadership roles and all of the new projects we are presenting and working on, don't forget to hit us up. Facebook, privately, Tim Cheesebrow. Shasta Michaels, Random Illusions, or just shoot us an email at magic, M-A-G-I-C-K, at randomillusions.com, and we will send you links as to where you can keep tabs on all of our future endeavors and adventures, and hey, you may want to get involved yourself. You never know. All right, keep your eyes and ears peeled. We will be announcing when we will be back. We'll see you then. Bye-bye.